Arizona Common Ground is about exploring issues from a public health perspective. While recording and listening to this podcast, I hope to create an environment where we can challenge ourselves to listen intently, think openly, debate intelligently, and care endlessly. So thank you for listening in. Support for AZ Common Ground comes from the Western Region Public Health Training Center at the University of Arizona. During this episode, we will be exploring the testimonial phase of how a bill passes. We will be speaking with the Director of Arizona Public Health Association, Will Humble, and Co-Director of Arizona Prevention Research Center, Maya Ingram. So a few questions I would like you to keep in mind are, have you identified a public health issue that has not yet been addressed, maybe through your academic work or your studies? Have you identified a potential solution? If so, do you know what to do with that work? And finally, do you have the tools and strategies to best maximize your testimonial time in front of a legislative committee? Let's explore it. This is Dr. Laura Coco. Thank you for listening to AZ Common Ground. My name is Will Humble. I'm Deb Gullett. I'm Cherie Stone. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Gerald, Director of Public Health Policy Management at the University of Arizona. Thank you for listening to Arizona Common Ground. This is Lucha. You are listening to AZ Common Ground. Hello there, I am your host, Krista. Thank you for listening in. We are recording from Arizona Senate Room C on the second floor, and I am here with Will Humble, and I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Hi, Will. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, My name is Will Humble. Uh, I've been working in public health for like 30 years, something like that. I started off my career as a restaurant inspector out on the south side of Phoenix, and I, I just feel so lucky to have found something so interesting as public health to spend my career. So if you're listening to this podcast, you made a good choice because public health is a great career. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Will. Um, Can you maybe tell me a little bit about um, Arizona AZPHA? Yeah. So uh, I spent, like I said, I spent 30 years in state government, mostly at the Department of Health Services. Um, And then when I left, I needed to stay engaged in something and keep myself busy and feel like I was still accomplishing things. So um, I was on the board of the Arizona Public Health Association. That's a a nonprofit uh, organization that actually started in 1928. So it's one of the oldest nonprofits in the state. And our focus and mission is really public health policy and public health advocacy. So I was on a board of that. when I left, when the new so when the new governor came in, so you know, I um, I was the director of the health department during the Brewer administration, and then um, Governor Ducey came in, and I just felt like I could tell right away that I wasn't a good match for the new like mindset. Mm-hmm. So that's why I left state government, and but I still needed to do something, like mm-hmm. I was saying. So uh, I was on the board of AZPHA, and then the executive director job came open, and I just I told the board, "Well, I'll do it." And it doesn't pay, <laughs> you know, it doesn't pay much. Yeah. So, um, but I said I'd do it because it sounded fun, and it, and it's a way to like influence policy. So it's been, I, it's a really fun gig. So I've been doing it about two years. Wow. We're so like your question was, who are we? So yeah. we're a member organization that is for public health advocacy and public health policy. So. Um, we have about seven or eight hundred members. Um, dues are just seventy-five dollars a year, twenty-five if you're a student. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's negligible. Twenty-five if you're just a student. <laughs> but it's a lot. We, like, we'll we'll get into the member benefits a little in a second. But mm-hmm. um, 
so you know we so during legislative session i i'm tr i take like there's a thousand bills get let's say that get proposed so well, the first thing we do in january is whittle that list down to um a subset of bills that have an impact on public health either good or bad um and then that's where we focus our attention and our advocacy so um uh i work to inform our membership uh, to, of what the bills are out there that are good and bad and how they can jump in and have their voice heard. Um, one of the reasons why uh, people join is because they, let's say they work at a county health department or the state health department or a managed care organization or academia, and because of the nature of their employer, they can't really do advocacy themselves because uh, you know, of who their boss is or the agency director or that stuff. But if they join AZPHA, they can do their advocacy through our organization. And um, so I'll, I'll, so during session, I do a weekly, well, I, not just during session, every week I do a public health policy update. During session, um, it's really geared towards um, you know, like what's happening down here at the legislature and also in stuff at the national level, you know, with the administration, the decisions that those appointees are making. So we give information to our members to help them stay engaged and be better informed. And so and kind of teach them how they can be part of the public policy process. Perfect. Thank you. And I am definitely going to ask questions about that later because how we get involved in that. So you're the director, you kind of yeah. run the show, although there's a lot of different people. I'm a one person operation. There you so. go, awesome. <laughs> I do I have to do everything. I gotta do the books, the everything, but it's fun. You know, I, I'm a generalist. I like to do a lot of lot different things, you know, and that's what this job lets me do. Perfect, thank you. Um, today we're gonna talk a little bit about testimonials from a public health perspective. So we're gonna gauge it in that, in that time of when a bill is passing, yeah. you know, when it gets its first testimonial. So we're trying to talk about that from a public health perspective and from a AZPHA perspective. We sure. thought that would be beneficial. So I'm gonna ask a specific question for the request to speak system, which is also known as the RTS system, to sign up. You sign up actually at the Capitol, either in the House of Representatives or in the Senate. Right. And do you want to actually speak a little bit about that? Because I remember you were the one that had me sign up for the RTS yes. system. So, it's a, so for, let me start by saying I am not a technically adept person. So right. I'm primitive <laughs> on that score. But I even I figured it out. Mm -hmm. So the hardest part about joining the request to speak system, which is a that's a system where you can sign in um, for and against bills, get specific information, get the language of the actual documents. And then during the committee hearings, you can actually sign up and have your name up there on the board. And the legislators, if you ever been down here, they have their laptops open, all of them. And they're on the RTS system during committee hearings. And you can attach documents. One of the things I do is um, I, I like to attach uh, links to, say, CDC documents and evidence-based things so that those members that are actually interested in the evidence for um, the policy decisions they're making, they have an opportunity to click that link and go to something deeper. Um, and uh, you got to be brief. That's the thing, because they all are scattered and have a lot of bills and not much time. So the so going back to the RTS system. So um, 
Uh, so it's pretty simple, but you have to come down here to do it. Down here being in the, either the Senate or the House. And it, once you get down here, it just takes a few minutes. So if you're in Tucson listening to this, um, you know, obviously you don't want to drive up here just to do that. But next time you're on a trip, does, legislative session doesn't have to be on. You just walk into the building. The Senate's easier because there's no uh, uh Security. Metal detectors and stuff like that. The house has all the metal detectors and things. So the Senate, you just breeze right in. You sit at the kiosk and then you can get your login there. And then from there, you have your login and your password and stuff. And you do everything else like from home mm -hmm. and that. So like I said, you the RTS system, you sign in, you get your password, but you have to do it here. And I'll just editorialize and, and say, um, uh, I think they do it that way so that they don't get overwhelmed with the number of people signing in for and against bills. Mm -hmm. And so they make it uh, a sort of a barrier to entry, I guess you'd say, to make it so that people actually come down to the kiosk and sign up. Because if you could do it from home, more and more people would do it. And then the list of people for and against would start getting super super long so uh, that's an editorial comment that's what i why i think they do it this way um because if it got to be where like two thousand people were signing up for and against bills it's hard for them to sort through who are the stakeholders that i would really like to listen to on this and stuff um so the good news for you listeners is that because there's barriers to entry if you to get onto the system if you take the time and come down here and do it then your voice is a little bit louder, to be honest, mm -hmm. because a lot of the people that didn't come down here to do that didn't make it into the system and their their names aren't going to be on, um, uh, you know, for and against the bills and, the, you know, in the system. So so I encourage you all, if you're really interested in public policy um, and want to have your voice heard and want to learn more mm -hmm. um, as you go through your career, then get involved um, with the process. And the best place to start, and I'm not plugging this to, for AZPHA, I, you know, because no. membership dues are really low. It's not like it's a big money maker. But um, the policy updates I send out are, like I said, that's where I whittle the list down to those things that are more crucial to public health. And... I put the I put links in so if it's House Bill, uh, the, there's anti-vaccine bills this week that um, that have been up. So I put like House Bill 2471, and I put the link that drives right on our my policy update that'll drive right to the asledge.gov system, and so it's a shortcut so that it doesn't take you as much time as it normally would because it, we're giving you sort of shortcuts and, and that kind of stuff. But the way you get that information is by joining AZPHA and um, my policy updates will go out every, usually this time of year I do them Saturday or Sunday. I'm gonna also add that I really enjoy, so the updates, you also give a description of the bill so you don't have to memorize all the bills. So it's almost, you pick which ones are most associated with public health, but there's also a description, the, num the number of the bill, where you can find it, when yeah. it's going to be heard in the next agenda. So that's really yeah. interesting. Well, Thank well, you for doing that. One of the hard things about that is that like each bill might have four pages of stuff in it. All of it's important, mm -hmm. but if I put four pages of stuff on every single bill, everyone would be like, this is, I, I can't deal with it. So I distill like a page down to a sentence. 
So, so I mean, so you leave stuff out. You have to. Mm-hmm. But I try to capture the essence of what the bill would actually do and why it's good or bad. And by the way, you might be surprised, given how conservative our state legislature generally is, every most years, mm-hmm. almost all the bills that we track are good things. That might surprise your listeners because you think, ah, every Arizona government, everything's bad. Well, to be honest, most things, most years are good. It's just no one hears about them, you know. So, like, take take the bills that got out of the House and Senate over this last week. Most of them, the public health ones, were good. The vaccine ones went down. The anti-vax bills were, were went down in flames, which was great. But the other bills, most of them were good. And most of them in the Senate were 30 to zero. And in the House, like 59 to zero or 59 to one or something like that. So most bills are actually consensus bills, but they never make it into the newspaper or popular media because there's no conflict. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like definitely. the media loves a conflict. And so if everyone's on the same page, it's like, well, there's no yeah. news here. We want to fight. We want, you know, yeah. we want to see the sword fight. So that's why the vaccine bills are on page one of the uh-huh. newspaper in part, because it's a partisan thing. And, and it, there wasn't there weren't consensus bills. But but like I said, most of the bills are good bills and they're consensus bills. Yes, and I would also add that this Monday, actually, um, the telemedicine bill passed and that passed unanimously. That is something that the telemedicine stakeholder groups have been working, I hear, over eight to 10 years for. Yeah. And it's been growing and growing and yeah. there was not much publicity on that, but that is something that's strictly public health. You know, everything from hospitals to patients in rural areas to doctor shortages to specialists then that's a huge huge win yeah no it sure is and it's like i said that you know some of these bills take two or three years to get through like last year was the community health worker voluntary certification it took four years to build momentum to get the members of the legislature to understand what the bill was and why it was good i think it's the same thing with telemedicine um the reason we're supported, we've been supportive of it. And just, by the way, there's still a long ways to go because it has to go to the other chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes bills don't make it through the other chamber, but I'm optimistic this will. We're supporting it because it helps access to care, especially in the rural parts of the state. That's I see the real value for telemedicine is in places like Safford and, you know, Bisbee and um you know, Navajo Nation, yeah, Indian Arizona. country, um, the rural parts of the state where there's a thin network of practitioners, um, telemedicine really has a good chance of improving access to care. So, um, and by if you look into the system and see who signed up, there's a whole like bunch of people signed up for the bill. No one's against it. Yeah. Nobody has signed up against the bill. So that's a good thing. Yeah, with bipartisan support in Arizona is possible, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> And, by the way, more common than not. I mean, it's just no one knows that because it's not in the paper, like we said. If Mm -hmm. it's not a sword fight, no one reads about it, hardly. Thank you. Going back to the RTS system, I thought I'd ask you for some insight. So if there were some people that were interested. So the RTS, again, is the request to speak system. What is the timing on that? So if someone did want to come up or if they're working, let's say, through AZPHA and they say, hey, you know, well, I'm very interested in this bill. I want to come up and, you know, actually speak and give a testimonial. So when should people sign up? Is it like that same day, a week before? And then 
let's say they did sign up, what are the chances of them speaking? Yeah, so um, good question. So if uh, on my policy updates, what I do is I'll send out, that's why I do them on the weekend because the, the agendas come out Friday. So I'm working on the weekend to get it out. And then on um, when it comes in your inbox on Saturday or Sunday, you'll see, okay, Senate Health is meeting Wednesday at nine and this the syringe services bill, for example, um, is up in committee and so that's the time when you try to work it out with your calendar and you first thing you do is go in and sign in support of the bill let's say that's what you want to do but let's say you'll be in phoenix and you want to testify because you have something to add to the conversation or some evidence that you'd like the legislators to know about before they make a decision. So you can go into the system and put request to speak. There's a little icon there with a microphone and you click on the committee, the bill and the committee. And then because you're in the system, you click and you say, I support the bill. And then you can check the box to say, and I would like to speak. And so when the bill comes up in committee, the chair will um, call the bill up and um, you have to sit in the chairs because you don't know when your bill is going to come up. So you might be there for an hour and a half, two hours before your bill's heard. But then if you checked the request to speak box, um, the chair will call on you. Now, if it's like if they're way behind on the agenda and it's really cramped, they might limit you to one minute, which they did to me twice last week. Um, I saw yeah. that yeah. Uh, during the anti-vaxxing bills. There were so many people. It was so busy that they actually had to open a secondary and third room yeah. to actually see the hearing because there were so many people that were involved. Yeah. But they, everyone got to speak. You know, maybe it was just a minute. So, so the answer to your question is if you go onto the system and you click I'm for or against the bill and you want to speak and you click the box, you will get your time, you know. And uh, it's, it's recorded on AZ Capital TV. By the way, all this stuff is recorded. Uh, we're, we win awards, Arizona does, for the transparency in state government because um, the hearings are all live. So they're all live streamed and you can watch them live. And then you can watch the recordings too and you can really track the bill. So, um, so state government has actually made it pretty easy and actually very transparent. Um, and for especially you young people listening, it'll be intuitive for you. It's harder for people my generation to figure that stuff out. But I get it now. Um, but it's really pretty easy to do and use. Thank you for sharing. And so can you maybe share with me? So once you're signed in, what is the experience or the excitement or the anxiety? So you're saying that they you will you will get the opportunity to speak but you don't know when so you you have to be ready right yeah and would you say maybe bring different versions so sometimes you have five minutes to speak or yeah. sometimes three or two or like you mentioned one yeah. so how should they prepare or how can we prepare to have a one minute elevator speech just in case or a five minute and then should we print that out and have copies to share with who you know if we're either in the house print out the number of members in the house health committee or in the senate print out the amount to share a, a paper document or what's a better practice that we could use it kind of depends on what like to the person like what's mm -hmm. your strengths for me i'd like look but i just read stuff and then i purposely never bring any paper up there and i'm just kind of extemporaneize it um if that's a word <laughs> or you can um or some people just bring bullets and cover the bullets and some people read papers like you know they'll read a document my piece of advice to be effective for the, those listeners that want to come in and sign and participate in committee is uh be as concise as you can and hit the high points 
and emphasize the high points and don't get lost in extraneous details because you can read the body language of the committee members and I've seen it over and over and over again where a physician, usually physicians, will get up there and like they'll have all these sheets of paper which they're reading off and it's powerful information and stuff, but they've they go way past the attention span for the committee and you can see their body language on the committee just shut down and it's like nothing gets through after that. Okay. So be concise, hit the high points, reinforce your high points, explain why it's important and be done. Um, and that's the most effective way and read their body language. And if you see them start fidgeting, you know, you're starting Losing to lose them. them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and so be concise. And so um, and, and there's a protocol to it. So also so watch the protocol before um, you go up and speak in committee. But they give real people being if you're listening to this podcast, you're a real person. They'll give real people like slack yeah, about the protocol because yeah. every time you answer so let's say somebody on the committee asks a question after you've given your statement um they'll say they'll ask you a question you say madam chair members of the committee with your answer you always speak to the chair first before whoever before you give your answer which is a, a, a like it's a protocol thing um i'm a registered lobbyist i don't get paid as i mean it's not like I get paid. I don't have any clients or anything but except AZPHA. But I'm expected to know the <laughs> protocol, and so they expect me to know that stuff. But for a real person, if you mess up, they won't be pissed. Um, but just try to do your best. To in 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 our president of the board, Mary Ellen, um, we had this maternal mortality bill up a few weeks ago, and she wanted to sign in to speak, and I couldn't do it because I had a family thing or something. I forgot why I couldn't do it. And she goes, oh, I've never done it before. I'm really nervous. I, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I said to her, I said, the reason that you need to do it is because you don't want to do it. Wow. <laughs> you have to like, because you, you have to get out of your comfort zone on stuff. And now she's like, I'm so glad you made me do it. I was really nervous. And then I just did it. And now I feel like it could do it easy. So, um, so like when I mentor uh, students and they do the public health policy uh, internships and stuff, I, one of the task assignments that I always give them is, and I'm doing it again, I have two students this year, um, it's to say you got your job, you got to sign in for bills and you need to speak on a couple of bills, you know, and so you 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 know Good. you need to get up there and talk and just so that you've done it and you experience it, mm -hmm. you know, wow. no substitute for just the real thing, I think. That's very important. That's good that you're having the students practice. You did it too, right? I, I actually haven't spoken here. I've in, that was in your t like deliverables. I was, I was I was your guinea pig. I was the, so I was actually one of the first oh, students the first that started in this course at the University of Arizona. It's six six ninety six, and it's a field seminar class at the Capitol. I didn't think I'd give a pitch for a class in, at the University of Arizona, but that's actually how I met Will Humble, and I was one of his first interns. So and now we make people sign in and speak. That is fantastic. I, maybe that was nice. That is a great deliverable. I appreciate. Appreciate it. And um, so there's be prepared, keep it concise. You don't want to lose the your audience and uh, the legislators or the senators um, when you're, you know, because stories are very powerful. So make sure to bring that. If you do have yeah. a personal story, make sure to use that. However, remember to reiterate the, your main points. That way those get across. So how can 
Arizona AZPHA, Arizona Public Health Association, help advocates get their voice heard? So the number one thing is when you become a member, you get my weekly policy update, which, like I said, whittles the list down on legislative advocacy at the state level. But with another, some of the other stuff we do is what I call administrative advocacy. So there's decisions that access. That's our state Medicaid agency makes a daily basis on different matters. Like, for example, one of the things we're pushing them to do is to reimburse medical assistance for applying um, fluoride varnish in pediatric care settings. So that's a big mouthful of stuff. No, I just not, wanted to use that, that as an example. Yes, it's you. not a legislative thing. Mm -hmm. It's good for public health. It's just a decision they didn't make to make that reimbursement. And if they would start doing that, then kids would get fluoride varnish in their pediatric appointments. And so they can make that decision. And so we do administrative advocacy in that way too. So it's not just legislative, it's administrative. So we, we do those things and then um, there's decisions being made all the time at the federal level that are bad for public health, most of them. And um, so we give people information how they can have their voice heard on that, not that they're going to have much influence nationally. But at the local level, you can really have um, an impact. Um, and the, the, the other thing before we go is to urge all of you listeners to know your legislative district um, and know who your legislators are and find a way to meet them at a community event, get their contact information and their email address, and um, start a conversation with them. Not like right now we're in legislative session, so it's really hard to get their attention. They're very but, busy right now, but. Yeah. But in the off season, like especially in a non-election year like 2019 is, um, after session's done, say from August, September, October, November, that's the time when legislators are looking for new bills for next session. And if you're in a public health practitioner in academia or a practitioner and you identify like a public health need that's not being addressed, um, that's your chance to have to go to your legislator and say, hey, look, this is a public health problem. This is a potential solution. Would you like to work with us, me, whoever, on a legislative solution for this public health problem? And you know, that's their job. And they're always looking for good ideas to champion. And so if you know who your legislator is and you form a relationship with them um, and keep following up, you can have you can be part of the process, you know, and and uh, and, and that's what public health needs is practitioners that I actually get out there and identify the problems um, and the solutions. Yes. Thank you, Will. And also, we are going to have a podcast later on with uh, Senator Heather Carter, and she will speak a little bit about um, how to be prepared, what to bring, how to pitch it, and we'll talk a bit more about that. But thank you so much, Will, honestly. All thank right, you for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. It was a right. pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Thanks for doing this. Definitely. You got it. I'm your host, Krista. Thank you for listening in. We are recording from the second floor at the Mel and Enid Zuckerman College of Public Health in Tucson, Arizona. And I am here with Maya Ingram, and I'm going to have her introduce herself. Hi, Maya. Hi, Krista. Yeah, I'm Maya Ingram. I'm the co-director of the Arizona Prevention Research Center, which is a CDC-funded center here at the College of Public Health. Thank you for being here, Maya. I appreciate your time. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> so I thought that we would take this time together to talk about um, 
um, testimonials in the public health perspective when you are advocating for an issue and there's something that, you know, really calls your attention and you're saying, I want to do something about this. Either this is great or this is wrong and something needs to get done. Mm -hmm. And I know you have some background in that. So I thought you could give us some examples of things that you've maybe experienced. No, that's a big, that's kind of a lot of different stuff. So maybe just focus a little bit uh, with your first question, which is just about testimony. And one of the things that sort of confronts um, you as a public health professional is that if you work for an organization such as an academic institution or a county health department, probably more so a county health department, you're somewhat curtailed in your ability to actually give public testimony. So before you do anything like that, you sort of have to make sure that you've covered your bases in terms of not getting trouble at your place of work, especially if you are planning on testifying. You can always testify as a citizen, but it can kind of get you in trouble if it has to do with something um, that is sensitive in your job. But you can also um, testify as an expert. So that means not necessarily um, coming in strong about your opinion about an uh, an issue, but really giving um, information that you think will help people make good decisions. That's what we do at the university a lot is coming in and giving testimony on um, things that work or practices that should be taking place. And that was certainly what we did with the community health workers is to help people um, learn about what community health workers are and as a workforce and why we should be supporting them in the state. Um, I actually never testified during that process. Interesting. And going back, you mentioned that depending on where you work, so does that mean that you might have to speak to your boss or make sure there's no conflict of interest or how does that work to make sure, you know, you don't get into any trouble moving forward? Well, there at the university, there's very clear guidelines about how you can testify and what you need to say um, in terms of representation. Um, But any job you have, it's a good idea. I've certainly known people who work for the city who prefer, who would not choose to testify, things like that, just because um, even to have people that you work with know your views on something might not be the most effective way for you to get something done. So in advocacy, you have to figure out where are you, Mm -hmm. and maybe you're an activist and testifying is what you want to do and say something bad, as you said originally, or maybe you're an expert and you want to inform people on making good decisions, or maybe you just want to be behind the lines, kind of helping people organize and giving them information and helping them be in front of the camera. So just different ways to think about things. The other thing I'd say about testifying is that you got to be prepared because um, I don't know if this is true of everybody, but there's something about standing up in front of a formal body that's kind of more um, terrifying to me than any other. I can get in front of a auditorium full of people with my little PowerPoint presentation that feels very different than getting in front of these people that are making decisions about things. I'm not sure why. They're even citizen task force, and I still feel terrified. So uh, being prepared, knowing what you're going to say is really important, and timing yourself, because going on too long tends to irritate people, and I don't. I think, if, I think people stop listening after a certain amount of time. So being concise, getting your points across, those are all really important. Yeah. That, and that is something that we, we actually learned when we were speaking with Will Humble that he said, keep it concise. You'll notice when you lose them. So, so keep it short. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you mentioned the community health worker bill? So how did you first choose the legislator to sponsor the bill or? Well, I mean, as you know, Heather Carter sponsored the bill. Eventually we would always been happy for Heather Carter to sponsor the bill. Um, it, she would learned about the subject and spent some time with it before she was comfortable doing that. Um, but in some sense, it's who chooses you oh, okay. um, as a bill. We got together with groups. Um, you know, we just met with our local 
I mean, really going to your local legislator is the best move because they're the one that represents you in your district, which is uh, what we did. We sat down with Senator David Bradley, and he gave us uh, very generous of his time and um, could not move legislation forward um, as a Democratic uh, legislator at the time, but helped convene groups of people that helped us figure things out until someone eventually took interest in what we were doing. But, um, you know, I would say that when you say, how do you choose your legislator? It's a long road to even deciding that legislation is the correct route. Can you tell me more about that? Well, we probably, the last thing we wanted to do was legislation just because we knew how hard it would get be to get it through an Arizona legislature, anything having to do with regulation and licensing and those sorts of things. And also we were concerned about what kind of restrictions that might put on the workforce. Um, so you, I think you need to consider every other opportunity and every other way to get things done. And we really did that. You know, we talked about, we tried to develop a, um, certification process that, um, was just under a community-based organization. Um, and really it came down to whether or not, um, it would help us sustain the workforce and those kinds of avenues ultimately didn't do that. And there were other reasons to go with certification, but we considered every other option. Wow. and worked on those and developed those and got a lot of feedback. And, um, so it was kind of a, it was a, it was an evolving decision. Can you maybe share with us an example? Cause I'm thinking an example for the audience and the listeners to think, okay, one, you know, if you want certification, you're going to have to go and get past some type of legislation. Um, but for another example, maybe more of a community example where you want something done where it wouldn't be beneficial to go up to the, to the Capitol. Can you share some examples with us? Well, I think that, um, there's this idea and it's actually, I feel very comfortable with it is that if you could just tell somebody they have to do it. So for instance, with school kinds of, um, examples, if you tell all the schools that they have to provide a certain kind of lunch, that would be a great thing. And you get it all done in one stroke and what's bad about that. That's perfect. And in reality, um, that approach often means that, an implementation policy never really happens. So the policy never gets implemented. It doesn't mean anything. Um, in the worst case scenario, it's an unfunded mandate. So mm-hmm. schools are left trying to do something that they can't. There's really logistically and financially they can't do. And um, I think in those situations, um, what I've learned is that it's much better to sort of work with partners and try to make things happen on the ground um, up rather than on the up, the top down. So that's probably true for any example, which is why we tried to certify ourselves first, right? The question was, would healthcare plans buy that? I mean, so, but regardless, all that work we did paid off. So I think another, I think schools is a good example. If, um, schools can come up with wellness policies themselves and it can grow and spread from there. That's probably going to be more effective. Um, and I think we did see that with some of the grant funding that went to schools that helped them create wellness councils and, and develop ways of, of getting, figuring what their priorities were and responding to them. Even though I would really like a policy that did all those things. The problem is, is it doesn't work. Not that it's not a good, idea. Number one, can you get it passed? And number two, will it work? So that's kind of why. as well, right? The process when you want to pass something is extremely slow. Well, I mean, like you said, I think ours was much faster than we expected. We didn't get it through the first legislature and we did the second time. And that really surprised us. Um, but the groundwork to get there, it was definitely a four or five year process. And, but all that was learning. None of the time was wasted and we weren't, I'm glad we didn't get the legislation the first time around. We weren't ready. And the legislation wasn't 
probably what it should have been. So in some sense, you could say the process works, maybe, although I, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. want to say that. No, I understand. So can you maybe share about that five-year initial process, just kind of your experience? Because um, I think it's a great example of what you can expect for the long haul, but also just that way they, under, you know, we understand kind of where you're coming from and you say it passed after the second year, but a lot of the work in that chunk was done before. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember uh, my daughter was in eighth grade and the first time that we got into the room and there were 12 of us and we'd been convened here at the college because the college of public health has a long history of supporting community health workers back to the eighties. Um, and so we just got together to sort of talk about how do we sustain this workshop for us, the time is now. And we had a little bit of money from the Arizona Department of Health Services, which was, I mean, that in some sense, that was the galvanizer, right? That we just had this little tiny bit of money. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we met once or maybe twice. Um, and then I went off to Peru with my family for four months and um, came back and they had moved the process a little bit further. But I mean, that's kind of how many sort of things have been going along. We created um, committees um, that had different tasks. And one was to raise the profile of the community health worker. And one, you know, one was to decide what the scope of practice was. So a lot of those first, that first two years was spent developing a constituency of community health workers. And that was really important that community health workers be in that group and be represented and add to that conversation and that took a while. So that was a big piece of it. And then there was definitely like another year just trying to get other people on board like Banner Health and which became an incredible ally in the um, uh, Arizona Association of Healthcare Plans, which we never would have survived that process without that organization. So, and then the Alliance of Health, Federally Qualified Health Centers. I mean, there was no way we could have done it without that. So I think it was like slowly building the support and probably by the time we got to the legislative process, because we weren't gunning for that at the beginning, by the time we got there, we just had a huge amount of, of support. But it was when we sat down with Senator Bradley and he convened the first forum. I think there were two forums and there was a vast difference between the first and the second one. The first one, they didn't take us very seriously and sort of patted us on the back and sent us on our way. And, mm -hmm. and the second one, they'd seen how much work we did between the first and the second and that we were further ahead than some of the groups they were working with. So yeah. they started taking us more seriously and then things really started rolling. And some of that time it felt like it was getting a little bit out of our hands. So it's a, it does kind of actually get out of your hands. Um, but yeah, so it was a long process and we just went on a lot of, um, a lot of meetings and a lot of sit downs and a lot of just trying to figure out what we, what our next step should be. You know, it's not easy being down here in Tucson and having to drive to Phoenix. And yes. I think we were just doing that on a regular basis and meeting with the Arizona community health worker association, president Flora Bay Redondo and my friend, Jill DeSapien, who's kind of the grandmother of the community health movement here. And, um, yeah, we would drive and meet with these various people and talk to them about what we were trying to do and get advice or try to convince them, or it was just meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, and then the last, you know, things were, it was all about the legislation the last year and a half, but the two and a half years before that was, was everything else. So I don't know if I've given you a sense of it, but it definitely no, is. <laughs> I, uh, I recall we, we were using it as a case study and it's just, um, it was, just, as you mentioned, Jill, um, here at the university of Arizona, um, was quite the example on how not to give up 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, fast forward a few years, let's say, um, let's fast forward until testimonial time. I recall I was actually watching in because you can watch all the committee hearings live on azledge.gov. I remember watching all the testimonials. How did you guys organize that? Yeah. And that was only you saw one time. So we did it the first year. And then the second year we did it again. And we had to go in front of the health committee, um, the committee of reference from the house and the Senate, and then the health committee in the, you know, house and then the health committee in the Senate. So there were a lot of separate um, times and each time the coalition and sort of the smaller working group said, who should say something? Mm -hmm. And we always had as Chow say something because mm -hmm. that was the backbone of the legislation was Florida Bay Orlando, but it wasn't even always Florida where other members of the board, Lorena Verdugo and other people, but there was always some CHW. Um, we also really valued the collaboration we had with tribal um, nations. And we tried really hard always to have a community health representative who said something, you know, just bringing up the fact this was also very important to tribes. Um, and then we just sort of said, you know, it'd be good to have a practitioner. It would be good to, good to have a, a healthcare plan. It would be good to have, you know, a public health agency. So at each hearing, we were putting together like three people that we thought should say something, but not very many. We were really told over and over again, not to not to have too many speakers. I think sometimes you want a lot, huh, okay. but in our case, since we were well-situated, we weren't supposed to have, you know, we were advised not to have so many, but, um, we had the head of a, we had a, um, someone who was the director of prevention at a community health, um, center. We had the director of a county health department. We had Will Humble who you spoke to. So different meetings, different mm -hmm. people each time. And then yeah, and then CHRs and strategically, Adam and Chow is Arizona Community Health um, Worker, Worker Association. Association. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. So you have to be strategic about who you put in, and you, who were you getting we guidance all had about from? A minute. A minute. We all had about a minute. Wow. Yeah. So we share stories. But we would we develop the testimony together, so everybody was saying something different. Perfect. Yep. And then anybody else can sign up to speak. So you don't know that you can control it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you might think you, they might not even call the names in which you're hoping they're going to call. If you have someone um, like Senator Carter, who's then representative Carter can kind of help plan it and do what she wants to do. That's, that's great, but you don't necessarily have that. Mm -hmm. So people can get up and speak and um, really derail your plans. <laughs> so you have to think fast on your feet. Wow. And that happened too. We had people speaking against the bill. We weren't, um, we weren't prepared for, and it was kind of example. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I should give certain right. examples, but I would say that it caused mayhem in our. How did you guys adjust that? We did not. You did not adjust. You're like we hit. We got. I hit. think we were running around the back of the room, freaking out, um, trying to get. They wouldn't give us back the microphone. So it oh sort of felt, no! Yeah, remember they're in charge, not yeah. you. Yeah. So. And did you have to go back and try to get someone else to request to speak in the same time? Or? Well, you can only say something you've already spoken, or if you're asked to speak. So we were trying to get the person, you know, who had already spoken, to be so they could respond. But they weren't really asking her to respond. They were asking their the, because they have people who mm -hmm. they were rely on to give them information. Yeah. So they were relying on that person to give them information and that person was not giving them the information that we wanted them to share. So it was uh yeah, it was a learning moment. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Oh man, to finally make it to that step and then be, you know. Well, I mean it's an example of you have to make sure you've talked to everybody before you get right. to the to that hearing. Yeah. And uh yeah. Did you talk to all all the health committee members? 
on and the House and the Senate? We okay. send emails or we try to talk to them, yeah. But there's also all the people that are in the room lobbying for various things. And mm -hmm. some of them you're not expecting to take a stand against or for you, and they do, you know. So you have to think it through, anybody who might. And sometimes you just have to learn the hard way, Krista. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Did you guys have any help? Did you guys have any uh, lobbyists or associates? I mean, you don't have to mention names, but did you guys get some... Cause it sounds like you had some guidance saying don't have too many testimonials like you want the stories, but not too much and for, you know, too much attention on it. Yeah. So did that help you? And how can people find someone or... Who, who, do, who do they reach out to if you're a public health professional? Well, I mean, you can pay somebody to do that. Um, and I think a lot of organizations do, or there's organizations that have a lobby. They are lobbying organizations for public health, like the Arizona Public Health Association. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we were a grassroots organization, and I think we were just, we had a good enough argument, and uh, we worked long and hard enough that... Um, we just we we convinced organization that it was in their interest to help us, um, and they did help us. I mentioned the organizations, all those mm -hmm. that I answered. The people in those organizations, we would not have passed it without them. Yeah, um, every single one of them. Big ones so, like Banner, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I, I recall, because I, I took a course with you, and it was probably, hands down, my favorite course. If you ever have an opportunity in the College of Public Health here, take uh, my Ingram's Advocacy Class 565, I believe. Yes, it is. And um, so definitely take opportunity of that, because she brings a lot of different people in to speak for lectures or for demonstrations, everywhere from grassroots all the way to inviting Nancy Bartow into the, the classrooms. So you get quite a range of individuals and perspectives. Can you speak to us a bit more about, um, depending on who you're in the room with, you know, you have to kind of gauge that argument or what you're trying to pitch. So for example, um, we know that, you know, there's Democrats and there are Republicans and depending on how or what your issue is, you have to choose certain words and maybe frame it a certain way. I know that's something that you've spoken about. Can you maybe share some tips and what like not to do if you are in regards to framing? Well, I mean, one of the exercises that you had to do in class, Krista, was to frame your, your advocacy position for different audiences and to really understand that there's a lot of reasons people might want something or not want something. So for you to think through what's the rationale or why something would be good, maybe you're doing it for reasons of social justice, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other reasons that are directly beneficial to organizations or businesses, you know, um, that you can't make the argument based on that. Just thinking that through about how you frame your your legislation or your advocacy goal is really important. Um, in terms of do's and don'ts, I mean, I, you know, they, they sort of say that some of the, and this is for the public health audience, but there's these catchwords that we really, that we really rely on, like, you know, health disparities and social determinants and equity and equality. And, um, unfortunately though, those are, those mean everything to us, but they're jargon and they don't have a lot of meaning or they even have a negative meaning. Mm -hmm. As you remember, I think it was your class when the um, legislator who came in, who said, um, he didn't believe in equity or was that your class? I believe so. Yes, I do. Like that, <laughs> I for him, 
for him, equity didn't mean what it meant for us. And we didn't get into a discussion with him about Mm -hmm. what he meant by equity, but he was willing to say, no, that's a bad thing, you know? So I think, or if it was equality or whatever. So I think you have to kind of be prepared not to use those trigger words and to really make solid arguments about why something would be beneficial Mm -hmm. to them and their group and their interests. Right. Because there's a lot of reasons in general, it's public health in general, it's good. You know, you can always make an argument, but the ones that are most attractive to you, may not be the best ones to use. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, material out there on framing now, um, like how to talk about climate, how to talk about the social determinants of health. And those groups have done studies um, with different audiences and found keywords that seem to work better than others. So as you're framing your argument, it makes a lot of sense to sort of look on the internet and see what kind of Mm-hmm. kind of advice you can get there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that there's any key article except because it's all being done all the time. And these mm-hmm. things are being changed all the time. I remember one of my favorite articles, I believe it was from your course was from the Robert Wood Johnson foundation. And it was an article talking about the social determinants of health and different ways to frame that same argument. So if you say social determinants, it's different than saying, you know, the area in which you grew up, um, and like lack of food or, you know, you have to almost spell it out and describe it. And it's something that you mentioned in the beginning of our talk where you said a lot of what you did in the first couple of years was raise awareness and educate people on what it is community health workers do and the importance of what they bring to the community and the healthcare system. Well, you know, it's funny because we kind of got hung up on this idea that we had to use fear because we figured for those that were opposed to us, the only reason that they would accept Regulation would be if we said, well, you don't want a person who's not certified going into homes. And that argument never had traction. And it wasn't what ultimately sold, you know, it was more about wanting to protect the workforce, you know, having a workforce. And so sometimes you make assumptions about people that are just, they're incorrect. You know, that argument never, it's all, I think they probably hear it every time regulation comes up. So they don't even, they're just like, yeah, whatever, you know? So, you know, that was not, that was not, that was an argument that we thought we had to use that we really didn't. So I think, um, always listening and and really talking to people and trying to understand what, what they're thinking is a really important part of framing. Um, but it's a, it's critical thinking, right? Mm-hmm. It's critical thinking. Yeah, you got to gotta think on your toes. You didn't know if you trigger someone. What are the different ways that people think about this issue? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you argue against it? How would you, you know, how would you overcome? That's, that's an important process. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm thinking about I'm a I'm a public health student and I am interested and I want to do a lot of good and how do I know if I should be an inside or an outside person? How what are maybe some things to think about? I, <laughs> that's a great question. I'm working on it, um, but I thought I'd ask you and see if you could give us some uh, some tips or what we can think about. You know, as we are getting involved and in advocating for things and issues that are important and saying, hey, um, where can I make the biggest impact? Yeah. I mean, I think it's almost, you feel more comfortable being an activist or someone behind the scenes and sort of making things happen. I do a lot of stuff around um, transportation and there are some insiders who have made huge, huge um, impacts, I think, on the future of Tucson. I don't know how, how many of your uh, listeners will be local, Krista, but they passed a park's 
um, um, city bond called 405. And that was the work of, you know, in my view, it was one person who's just tirelessly represented those efforts, but she was incredibly neutral all the time, you know? So being an insider is pretty crucial, but Mm -hmm. I think she would probably say, well, I couldn't really do it if other people weren't out there making a lot of noise and misbehaving. So it really is that insider versus the outsider perspective and you really need them both and you should work together, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But yeah, it might be a personality thing or maybe where you what kind of a job. You know, what's <laughs> funny is I was at the Capitol last week and I was speaking with someone and there was uh, you know, there's always people at the Capitol either with signs or advocating or doing something. And someone mentioned, you know what? I just, I hate activists. And I thought, that's interesting. And I was like, well, I noticed that, you know, you have a lot of opinions and things you feel strongly about by you talking about them and sharing your ideas and that different perspective that is advocating. And that is your sense in a sense that is activism. So for those people that might be turned off by the word being an activist, what other option is there? Or what else is how you call yourself? Either that or, you know, yeah. Cause activism, I never thought that would come with a negative connotation, but when I when I said it and I got that knee jerk reaction, I thought, huh, what's a different way to say, you know, those people on the outside of that are maybe not just the grassroots team, but you know, the moms and, and the teachers and how, what else can we, is there like another word or what else can, is it really just inside or outside? Don't you think people um, who are activists are sort of seen as disruptors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interrupters and yeah. disruptors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of got that in that sense, it has that negative connotation for people who don't think that's how you should do business, mm-hmm. right? If they're in control and they don't want people coming in causing problems. Stakeholders. <laughs> that's the word we're going to go with you. Stakeholders. <laughs> we're invested. Stakeholders. Or community members you or, go. you know, or coalition members or, Yeah, no, I don't think, I think it's a nice way to think about insider versus outsider. It's a nice way to think about advocating, but it's only one. I agree. It's only one lens. Mm -hmm. Stakeholder can be both insiders or outsiders, right? And community members are always stakeholders. Yeah. All of us that are affected. And so we are all, we can all advocate as outsiders, but we're not disruptors or activists in doing that, right? We're just, we're just telling our lawmakers what we want to have happen, mm-hmm. right? That's the way really I mean, that's that's why our democracy is. That's the way it's supposed to work. So, um, are there any last uh, either tips or any last things you'd like to say to our listeners before we say goodbye? Well, no. I mean, I just encourage you to keep talking. It sounds like you've got some good people lined up to talk, and you know, everybody has another little piece of the puzzle. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess just in closing that it certainly makes a difference if it's something that you really are passionate about and um, that you got to be in it for the long haul and don't be in it for the end game, Mm. be in it for the process and the small wins along the way, for sure. Because it's all about the small wins. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you heard it, guys. All right. Thank you, Maya. I really appreciate your time. recap what did we learn in this episode you need to know who represents you so who are your legislative representatives also if you had an idea to a public health issue legislators always want to hear good ideas we need practitioners public health advocates and public health professionals to identify problems and solutions also when testifying you must be prepared know what you're going to say and time yourself will humble reminds us that we need to emphasize the high points 
explain why our issue is important and who it impacts. Maya reminds us to be concise and to read their body language. In addition, we learned about the importance of framing and putting in the time in advance before going to meet your legislator in person. When strategizing for testimonials, do not have too many speakers. Make sure everyone is saying something different. Make sure you have spoken to as many legislators as you can before the bill hits the committee in advance. And never forget the impact of stories. We learned that the Request to Speak system is a platform that the Arizona legislature uses for Arizona citizens to sign in for, neutral, or against a bill. So if you have not yet signed up at an RTS kiosk, make sure to do that as soon as possible. Once you sign into the RTS system, you are ready to begin your civic engagement. Congratulations. Next on Arizona Common Ground. Yeah, and so you've hit on an important point, which is um, most of us, when asked, have a very similar views about health care. We want it to be affordable and accessible. Uh, and the controversy comes around how do we make that happen? So if you've got somebody who's got something important to say, um, then early before the session starts, you want to go to the committee chairman at the appropriate committee, whether it's health or transportation or commerce, mm -hmm. and say, we've got something that we'd like to present to your members, and here's what it is, mm -hmm. um, and try to talk them into it. But I think the, I think the key to making a presentation and getting, getting invited to make a presentation is to have something relevant, to have something lively, to have something that can be understood and can be conveyed in 10 minutes.